All right, so uh, let's, uh, let's dig in. Uh, welcome to Life Point. We're talking about money. All right, so if you're visiting the church, you've been away for a while, let's just get that out of the way. It's awkward. I'm going to beat you to it before you start saying, oh, here you go, another pastor talking about money. We started talking about money last week, and everyone loves it when pastors talk about money, right? We just dig that. Uh, Relax. I'm going to calm you down a little bit because pastor don't need a new home. I don't need a new car. Uh, Man, we're not trying to fundraise to put a Starbucks kiosk in the lobby up there, Uh, especially... Now that we've just found out this week that they're, they're not serving Jesus' job over there or, or lattes for the Lord, all right? Uh, that's a joke, by the way, because ain't nobody in here boycotting the bucks. You know what I'm talking about? You're still going, I'm going, all right? Uh, last week's message, and even this week, this is not so a seed of faith. Uh, give, tithe, so I can go get a jet plane and reach the nations. That's not what this is about. Uh, this is uh, the reason we preach on money and finances is because Jesus did a lot. All right. Uh, do you realize that He spoke about money more than heaven and hell combined? So He spoke about those things. We'll speak about those things. Eleven of the nine parables are about finances. We're in a series called Parables: Kingdom Secrets. Eleven of the nine talk specifically about money. So that's why we talk about these things. That's why we're going to do that. Because here we live um, in the Bible Belt. We're in the South. We're in the Bible Belt. And here's what you can do in the Bible Belt. You can fake it until you make it. All right? We, we don't believe um, here in the Bible Belt that you show that you're a Christian by how we love each other or how our lives are radically changed by the gospel. That's not how we do it here, right? Well, how do we do it? We, we do it by putting a fish magnet on the back of our car, all right? Or checking a, a, a religious box preference on our social media, our profile, all right? That's what we do. In Tennessee, you can learn the language. You can very easily pick up on Christianese. You can start speaking it, walking, speaking as if everybody else does. You can learn the right behaviors of a Christian, how to live a godly life, You can do all of those things, and yet your heart and your life be radically opposite of what you say that you believe. Now that is what torments pastors. Not not ISIS and not atheists. That is what is is the threat in the church right there, that person. All right, I'm just being honest with you. We don't, uh, since we're trying to do this evaluation, um, many times our emotions... Our feelings, they're invisible on how we evaluate things. So if we're Christians, I don't really know because there's emotions involved. It's, it, it can be deceptive. I can't really see those things. They're invisible, right? And sometimes they deceive us. But when we're talking about our money, all right, there's nothing better that evaluates our heart and what we believe than our money. All right, Luke 10, uh, 12, 34, uh, where your treasure is, your heart will also be. And that's true for us. When we look at our bank statements, our wallets, uh, our spreadsheets, whatever you do, uh, they will either betray you or they will convince you of who you are. All right, There's no way that we can get around those things because here's what they do. Uh, As I mentioned, the feelings and emotions, they're invisible. We can't really see them. They're deceptive sometimes. But here's the thing about math. Math is unbiased. Spreadsheets, facts, statements, metrics... They just don't lie, do they? They're just, when you get that bank statement at the end of the month and you look at it, I mean, it's not out to get you. 
It's just you on paper where you spend your money at. All right? It's just it's simple math. It's not out to get you. It doesn't want your money. It is just simple. Two plus two equals four. And it causes you to make an evaluation about who you are and where you spend your money. So looking at the statements, the bank statements, they're going to convince you that you either believe that actual God exists or your statements will look no different than an atheist. All right, They reveal a lot about us. So if you're looking at that bank statement at the end of the month, you get that thing, and it not only has Titans PSL tickets on there, but it has Titans jerseys, pom-poms, commemorative cups, uh, tattoos, 14 gallons of body paint, onesies for your kids when you don't even have kids, all right? jerseys for your dogs, a T-Rack costume, and then counseling sessions to deal with a 2-14 and 14 season, you, you might have an idol on your hands if that's what's kind of going on. All right, uh, You can insert any team into that, by the way. If you're not a Titans fan, don't, you're not off the hook there. Uh, our, our biggest expenditures when we're spending our money, it should not be Starbucks, sports, things, possessions, our kids' toys. Those should not be our, our, the bulk of our expenditures. All right, Now, I'm, I'm not anti those things, but I am saying we do have to look at it. We have to evaluate, and sometimes we just don't like doing that, right? It's, it's not fun to have like a perpetual tattletale by looking at your bank statement everywhere you go. Well, this is just you, man. You know, it's not fun to do those things. So our wallets, our statements, they will convince us of who we really say we believe and who our master really is if we're being honest with ourselves. So this parable today, let's go to Matthew 25. Uh, 14 through 30. Maybe you've heard this parable of the talents. And um, let me set this up for us this morning. Uh, This is the third parable um, after Jesus has given the command to all of his disciples to watch. Be on guard. I'm going to leave you. Be on guard. Watch. You will give an accountability for your life when I return. I'm coming back. Believe it. And you will give an account of what you have done with what I have given you. That's the basis of this parable that we're going to see today. Questions that we'll ask ourselves. Do you believe Jesus is returning? And are you using the stuff that he's given to you, that he has stewarded you with, money specifically today? But it's not exclusively money. It's opportunities, gifts, talents, all of those things. Are you using those things for self-satisfaction or kingdom multiplication. All right, True disciples will multiply what God has given. We'll see this in the parable today. While the poser Christian will bury what God has given, they'll view it as not God something gave to them, but they obtained it. They'll bury it in the ground, and ultimately they will face condemnation. You'll see this in the story of the parable today. Very simply, bottom line, don't bury it. All right, it pretty, sounds pretty simple, right? Don't bury it. Jesus Christ's name, amen. See you, have a good day. We'll see you next Sunday, right? You wish it was that easy, but it ain't going to be that easy. We've got to look at this text. So let's open this thing up, and uh, I'm going to read this uh, just through first, the whole passage, um, and then we'll come back and we'll break this down together. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, 
to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. He who also received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. And gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew what I had reaped, but I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, has, has will, will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray before we get into the text this morning. Father, we uh, love you so much. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, today we need your help because when we look at money sometimes and and the things that you've given us, our ways are all messed up. They're just messy. And uh, Father, we need your help to straighten us out in those things to the way that you, the money that you give us, the time that you give us, the opportunities were given to us by you for you. I pray you would shift the way that we think about those things. And I don't, I don't believe, Father, that these things are going to change in the, because of a sermon that I preach or a song that we sing. But I do hope and I do pray that you start to chisel away at our, our warped minds on, on, on money. Just start to work in the midst of small groups or one-on conversations where there's accountability to the text. I pray that you would do that. We love you. Would you uh, teach us this morning? Father, we love Sundays. We love worshiping in your house. But if your spirit is not here transforming lives, we don't want to be a part of it. So we invite you in uh, to work among us. We love you. And we pray it in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's go. Uh, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. We'll start breaking this down. Here's what he says. For it will be like a man going on a journey. Who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, 
to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So here's what I want you to see. In this text, we have four characters in this parable. We have a master, and then we have three professed servants. They all call him master. He's master, and they are the servants. And then he has given something of his own, and he has entrusted it to the servants. So it was never theirs, and it was for the purpose of multiplication of his own goods. Not so they could keep it or even simply just hold it till he got back. It was for investment purposes to increase the value of what was given. So it was given by the master, not obtained by the servants. All right, now here's, let's, let's put gospel on this. The master is Jesus, and the three servants are professed believers in Christ. They call him master. We're servants, right? But there's a problem with one of these guys. Two of the guys are going to be faithful. One of the guys is going to be uncovered as a hypocrite. All right, that's where we're going with this text. Someone who professes a master but they don't live like it. That's the person we're kind of going after today. And how we measure that is versus the stewardship of the stuff that, that the master has given. Now, in this text, many people have misconstrued the word talents. And they read that and they say, well, that's just, that's just God-given abilities. I read that and it says, okay, that's just natural abilities. Uh, now, that would be like, well, okay, if you're a teacher, right, you're gifted as a teacher, you just teach for Jesus. And if you're a singer, you sing good, you need to sing for Jesus. If you're a juggler, you juggle for Jesus, all right? So I'm not disagreeing with that. That is correct, man. If you do those things and you are gifted in whatever you are doing, you need to do those for Jesus and not for yourself. That's right. But in this text, it's specifically talking about money, all right? Let me tell you why. Go back to verse 15. It says that the talents were given based upon the person's natural ability, See, according to one, to each according to his ability. So there was already an ability, a natural talent there. And then the talent was given based upon that ability. All right, so specifically, this is talking about money. Uh, a talent in this context would have been a sum of goods, uh, potentially a, a gold or silver. Now the value of that uh, would have been let's, a, a one single talent, all right, would have been equivalent to 10,000 days of wages for a common day labor. All right, so literally a lifetime, one talent. This is extreme value. So uh, five talents, five lifetimes of common day labor's wages, right? One, five, two. It's extremely, extremely valuable. Given to the servant in the purpose of advancing the wealth and the kingdom of the master who was giving it. So that's what this text is talking about. It's not exclusively money. We take it and we apply it to other things, which we will do today. But specifically, the text is talking about money. All right, so you've got the master sitting at the house. And then these guys come in. The servants come in. The first guy, he is type A, driven, visionary, gets it done guy, right? He, you give him something, he's a task-driven dude. So the master says, okay, I'm giving you five talents, all right? Second guy comes in, he's more of a behind-the-scenes, um, he's good at, at, at spreadsheets, and he's very steadfast, and he's very stable and responsible and trustworthy. So then the master says, okay, well, I'm giving you two things. You're going to get it done. And then the last guy comes in, the third guy comes in, he's four hours late, 
All right, his alarm clock didn't go off. He's got sleep lines on his face when he comes in. He's more of a creative type, all right? He walks in, and the master's probably like, okay, dude, I mean, should I just kill you right now? I mean, should I just kill you? Okay, I won't kill you. Here's a talent. One, get out of here, go kind of deal. That's what's happening in the text. Let us see what they do with it. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. All right? So we have, here's what didn't happen. All right? The The guy with two or the guy with one, they weren't complaining about not getting as much as the guy with five. They weren't saying, why'd you give him five and you gave me two? Or why'd you give him two and you only gave me one? It's just God-given. And God is saying, I'm trusting you with whatever you have. It doesn't matter if it's a little or a lot. You are faithful with what I give you. Now, we, we're faithful with whatever, whatever God gives us, and we don't complain about it. So it doesn't matter if you have a little in your eyes Or a lot. You are called to be faithful with what you are given. And we've all been given stuff by God. So no one is off the hook in this deal. You can't say, well, I live at Weary Housing. I don't live in this neighborhood. I don't have to be as faithful. Why don't you give me that? No, we're all on the hook in this deal. All right? Uh, So we can't can't use that excuse. So here's what he's doing. And I said that the primary... uh, purpose of this parable is the money. That's what we're talking about. But it's not exclusively money. It is about opportunities. What opportunities is God giving you for his purpose for kingdom multiplication? We're talking about gifts, skill sets, talents. What are you going to do with those things? As as we're all wired differently according to our own abilities, Right, So some of you uh, will never likely stand on a stage and preach. That's, that's okay. I'm never going to restructure a budget for a Fortune 500 company. Edber, remedial, college remedial math guy right here. That's me. All right, P- pretty transparent. Uh, so we're all gifted and wired different ways, but we all have those things. They've been given by God. Remember, the right perspective as we go down this pathway is you didn't do anything. Your job, your money, your possessions, your car, a true disciple of Jesus says, all God-given, right? Not just my kids. God, okay, God, you get credit for my kids. But this job, I, I really worked hard, God. You, you, yeah, the kids, no, I did this thing. Now, if you have that perspective, you're going on a slippery, slippery slope. All things are God-given, including our talents and our gifts. And how are you using those for the advancement of the kingdom. If you're gifted at carpentry, all right, do you just go to work and get a paycheck to feed your family, or do you take that skill set, that gift that God has given you, and maybe you go, you take your vacation time and go down to Brazil and you build some homes. If you're a teacher in the school systems, you're gifted at teaching. Are you teaching curriculum? Or are you teaching Jesus with the gifts that you have? I know sometimes that's tough to think. And like, well, I do this all week long, man. I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to teach people Jesus because I teach them all day, all week long in schools, man. God has given you a gift for his purpose, his glory, 
right? And we, do, we, we take, that's how we give back to him. We say, I'm going to use this gift that you give me. I, I sing good. I'm going to sing for Jesus. I, I'm going to labor. I'm going to labor for Jesus. I'm going to do all of these things. What are you doing with your time? What do you do with your time? Are you a restful person and you take your evenings, your seven free evenings during the week, and you just use it on you? It's my, it's my you time. I want to work on me right now. I've been working really hard all week long. I got all these. These are my time to rest. These are my time to relax. These are my times to, to, to maybe work on a better version of me. I'm going to work out four times a week. I'm going to do Zumba. All right, aerobics, I'm going to do whatever, and I'm going to work on me. I deserve it. I work hard, right? There's nothing wrong with doing those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't exercise and do those things. But do you take all your seven days and work on you? Or do you say, I've got some freedom in here. I've got some, some margin in my schedule that I could be using it for the advancement of the kingdom of God. All right, some of you are young souls trapped in an old body. All right, and you need to maybe take a step of faith and go to a student camp in the summertime and disciple young people. All right, and you can transform. Your, your old body will recover and your young soul will be filled. Man, what are you doing with the time, the opportunities, the gifts, the talents that God has given you for kingdom multiplication? Or are you just earning a paycheck? you just in it for yourself, right? I want to be famous. I want to sing. I want to be Nashville's next star. I want to do these things for my sake and my glory and my purpose. Self-satisfaction or kingdom multiplication. Now, here's what's going to happen here. The master is going to return. And uh, this is kind of dangerous. It, it, there's nothing wrong with, uh, with, with kind of having that mindset of, of rest. Man, I, I'm not saying that you can't rest and you can't work on you and have those luxuries in your life. It's okay. There's not this idea that, that Jesus is going to return and, and he finds you parasailing and now he's going to send you to hell. I mean, it's not like, hey, you were good. You were doing really, really good. I really loved you. And then I caught you at that moment. You're parasailing. And then now it's just utter darkness for you. All right? That's not what we're saying in this text. It's about what are you doing, evaluating yourself, and do, is there anything in you that is working your gifts and opportunities to advance the kingdom? All right, so now Master's going to return. He's got to give a response. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand. It didn't matter, like I said, how much they were given. It's what they did with what they were given. So that's not the issue with the quantity. Let's go with 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master... You delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also said, Who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much, enter into the joy of your master. Man, he, one day, Jesus is going to return, and you and I will give an account for the life that we've lived and what we've done for the name of Jesus. Do you live into that perspective that he's going to return? 
And will you approach him with eagerness as these two? They're like, I, I multiplied it. Master, look what I did for you. Are you eager? Right? Now, here's where I think most Christians kind of settle into this position. that They think God is only after their obedience. God is, man, he's, he's cruel. He's ruthless. He's like, man, if you don't uh, use the stuff I've given you for my purpose and my glory, if you don't do these things, I'm going to gnash your teeth out. I'm going to make you weep unconsolably for the rest of your life. And you view God like that. And you don't understand that God is ultimately for your joy. That's why he said twice, enter into the joy of your master. He didn't say, I could have killed you. I could have gnashed your teeth out. You would be weeping forever. I'm casting you, or I could have cast you into utter darkness. He doesn't say that. He says, enter into the joy of your master. Life to the fullest, man. You're obedient, now you have life to the fullest, the way that I intended life to be. But we say, God, you're a joy kill. He's trying to make me obey these old rules. Don't have sex outside of marriage. God is not for me. He's oppressive. He's restrictive. That's exactly what the enemy said in the garden to Adam. Right? And we buy into the lie. Right? We buy into it. We don't understand that God is ultimately for our joy. As I fight for your joy on Sundays, I spoke about this, I believe, last week. I'm fighting for you because I know that obedience, on the other side of obedience to the Scriptures, is joy. And what happens, it gets very frustrating for a pastor because then I get accused of trying to take people's money. That's the accusation. I'm just trying to get my money. Maybe you, like me, have seen pastors who had an agenda or maybe a limo, right, trying to get your money. Maybe you've seen that like I have, and you're like, man, I'm giving, I'm giving nothing. I don't know what they're doing with that money. Number one, our budget is always publicly available to everybody. So anybody can see that they want to. And number two, your obedience to give and to tithe and be generous with your money is not to me. It's not to a pastor in the pulpit. It's to the Scriptures. All right, so you, your obedience is to the Scriptures You let go, you do your part, and then you let those who steward it answer to God for what they did for it. You don't compound a a heart issue, a trust issue with the church with an obedience issue, right? You you enter into obedience, and then the joy comes. I, I talked about that last week, I think, too. Man, a lot of times the joy is on the other side of obedience. We just simply obey, and then you watch you, you become obedient to the scriptures, your life will be full of joy. And that's when God says, enter into the joy of your master. That's when you'll find it right there is through obedience. God is for us. He's not against us. God's not looking for begrudging submission, reluctant obedience. Oh, God. Really, God? Do I have to give you my money? Really? Okay. All right. I get it. Text says it. Pastor said it. I'm going to give you some money. I'm going to be generous with my time and all that stuff because if I don't, you're going to gnash my teeth out, right? If that's your perspective, you have missed God altogether, just like the third servant. He was afraid of his master because he didn't understand his master was for his joy, right? And you begrudgingly submit 
how is God honored in that? He's not honored at all. He's not moved by us by this drudgery of Christianity and saying, oh God, do what you want me to do, God. That doesn't move anybody, right? Imagine if someone came up to me and said, hey, man, tell me about your marriage. Tell, I'm single. Tell me about your marriage. And I say, oh God, where do I start? Uh, well, 21 years ago, I made this commitment. Man, I signed these papers. There was this marriage license thing. And uh, Man, I believe in steadfastness, and I believe in security, and man, my spouse, they're, they're okay. They don't do really bad things. I mean, they're pretty, uh, you know, they're, they're stable. They're good with the kids. They're providing for me a place to live. They're stable. They don't beat me. They don't hit me. Uh, we're cool. We'll stay together for the kids. I, I, that's, that's why. That's my, my marriage. Is anyone going, that's amazing? That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. No. You're like, that is so depressing. I never want to get married. I'm going to stay single forever. (laughs) No one wants that, right? By the way, that's not the marriage God wants for you. All right? But what if somebody comes up and says, hey, tell me about your marriage? And I say, where do I start? Where do I start? My wife is externally beautiful and she's internally beautiful. A lover of the Lord. And somehow, I tricked this woman into marrying me for a long time. I don't know how I did it, but God, you're good. She loves the Lord. She serves the Lord. She loves our kids. She's taking care of our home. She's nurturing in every possible way. She's seen the, like, the worst parts of me, and yet she still loves me. And like I've I seen her bad parts, and we still love each other. We have this ahava love for each other that says, I, I've seen the bad, I'm not going anywhere. And, and I give her gifts, not because I'm sleeping on the couch if I forget to give the anniversary gift. I give her gifts because I delight in her joy. When I see her and she's joyful, I delight in serving my wife. That is the position that we serve our God, that we're obedient to our God, is because it's for our joy. We delight in giving joy to the Master. That is the position as a follower of Jesus that moves Him, right? Not begrudging submission. All right, so we're going to keep going in the text because He promises uh, a, 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 a solution uh, and really results and consequences to not doing this. So let's look at this in verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, all right, he came forward saying, Master. So he's calling him Master with his lips, right? I knew you to be a hard man. Like you were hardcore, Master. You were out to get me. I was scared of you, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground here. Have what is yours. I buried it in the ground. I was scared of you, master. I wasn't really trying to please you. I wasn't seeking joy. I was just trying to avoid condemnation from you. He didn't know his master. That was the issue. This is not a message or a parable about salvation by works that you have three Christians and one of them didn't produce anything, so then that Christian is cast into utter darkness. That's not the text. If you see that, you miss the whole point. The point is, 
is he was never the master's to begin with. Never. He called him master with his lips, but he didn't follow him with his life. Passage in Matthew, Lord, Lord, did not do many things in your name. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You profess Lord with your mouth, but you don't follow me. You don't do anything. So here's the point. All Christians will bear fruit. They will multiply what God has given. Different levels according to different abilities, yes. But the one who doesn't multiply anything and buries it in the ground was never a servant of the master to begin with. Ever. All right? Now, you got to understand this. All Christians will produce fruit. They will use gifts for God's glory, for multiplication. They'll use their money for God's kingdom, his advancement. They will share the gospel. They'll multiply. They'll make disciples. You will multiply if you are a true follower of Christ. Different levels, like I said, but you will produce. There is no digging it in the ground, burying it in the ground for you, protecting it because you're afraid of the master. Nothing. That's condemnation. All right? That's what we just saw in the passage. All right? So here's what, because this is really, this, this guy represents a large class of a lot of people in our culture. Uh, misusing gifts that God has given, not giving him glory, not multiplying what he's given. J.C. Ryle writes this, and I'm going to read this. Uh, this, is, this is the one who hides the talents, who buries the talents like the slothful servant. He says this, This is the baptized Bible despiser, or prayer neglector, the Sunday worship forsaker, the pleasure seeker, the money lover, the gifted who seeks fame for their name, the covetous and the self-indulgent, all, all are alike the slothful servant, bearing their Lord's money in the ground. They have all light that they don't use. They could make much of God, but instead they're robbing God. He has lent them much, and they make him no return. Well, let's pick up the text. This is where it gets really bad for this guy. And he says this, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew, all right, underline that. This guy knew, all right, so if you're a professed follower of Christ, you knew, all right, he's, off, he's not off the hook. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound good, right, does it? I don't know what it is, but it doesn't sound good. Here's what I want you to know about the servant. The servant uh, was not a, a wicked, immoral, uh, a, a, a person who was maybe a, an idolater or murderer or sexually immoral. He wasn't a waster of his father's money like the prodigal son. So outwardly, he didn't look like a bad dude, right? His ruin was that he did nothing. That was his ruin. 
Not that he was outwardly evil. This is, this is for us, man. How many times do we look at what other people do? We measure ourselves up against what other people are doing. Man, this, my friend Jennifer is sleeping with uh, his, his, she's sleeping with her husband's best friend, and there's adultery, and it's horrible, and John gets drunk on the weekends. Man, I'm not like John. I don't do what he does. I'm not struggling like he is. And we point the finger at other people, and we say, well, I'm not doing anything wicked. I'm not out there doing all of these things. And you, just like this guy, you do nothing. That was his ruin. Not that he did bad things. It's that he did nothing. We have to be aware of a do-nothing Christianity. A do-nothing Christianity is not Christianity. That was his ruin. Doing nothing is the praise of a rock, not a man. All right, That's what we do. The praise of a rock is you did nothing. But man is not like that. The worst thing that we can do is nothing. And that's the point. That was the ruin of this man sitting on his own gift, not using it for kingdom multiplication, and he faces condemnation. All right? So here's what this close is in this deal. I'll call the man out a second. You guys hold on. I'm not done yet. They're anxious to get up here. Man, the gospel is, is everything that we do here at this church. May every message that we preach be rooted in the gospel. Everything. I hope you get sick of hearing the name gospel over and over again because we can never stop understanding. Is there anything greater, as we're talking about stewardship, is there anything greater that God has given and entrusted to us for his purpose, his glory, his multiplication than our salvation? Anything greater than that? Absolutely not. You didn't obtain it. You didn't earn it. You didn't reach up and grab it was not yours, it was the master's. He handed it down, he gifted it to you, and he says, here, this is for multiplication for my kingdom. You have been given a message of good news for Christ. Now go tell other people the great commission is all over this parable. Jesus, the master, gathers up the disciples. He's leaving them, going on a long journey, but he's going to return. And he says, here, I've given you salvation. I've given you the gospel. Go make more. Take what I've given you and go multiply it for my kingdom. And I'm going to return. And you will give an account for what you've done with what I've given you. That's that's the message. You've been given salvation. What have you done with your salvation since it was given to you? What have you done with it? Have you ever played the part of leading someone to the Lord by sharing the gospel with them. Ever. Ever played a part in that? Ever said, man, I, man this person was really struggling at work and I, I shared the gospel with them. Their life is now transformed. God did a mighty work in them and now they live a radically different life. And I'm so thankful that God used me to get to preach the message of the good news to them. That is multiplication. Or do you bury it? Like the, the servant, he buried it in the ground. I got my salvation. I'm digging in the ground. It's so valuable. I'm going to protect it because I'm scared of the master. And you're a part of the do-nothing Christianity. There's a guy that, man, he, he, he tells me of a story of a guy he's been working with for two years. 
And, and he, this guy's just broken. He's just messed up. His life is so broken and over and over again. And he just wants to so, uh, man, this guy's life to be radically transformed. And I'm like, let me share the gospel with him yet? Well, here's what I do. Every day I pray for him. We talk about him in our small group. I, I, I say, I'm investing in this guy. It's been two years. I invest in him daily. I listen to the fish in my cubicle Right? I'm hoping he's just going to burst into conversion one day by me listening to the fish. Right? This year at the office Christmas party, I'm not going to get drunk like everybody else. He's going to look at me and say, whoa, that guy must be different. I want Jesus. I'm like, you haven't shared the gospel with him? Well, no. I'm like, bro, are you, are you waiting for Jesus to return to do that? <laughs> I'm like, it's now and you are it. You are the vessel. You are the messenger right now. Two years? Come on, man. Enter into the joy of your master when you're a part of kingdom multiplication. Band's going to come out. We're going to close out of here. Man, as a pastor, I look at in, in the church, many of the American churches, you see people filled in churches that are bored out of their minds. They come to church on Sunday. They can't wait to get out to move on to something that's more superior, more exciting. And what you need to know is that the gospel frees you from that boredom. If that's you and you're bored, the gospel can free you from that. But the problem is, is many people are just content with swimming in the kiddie pool. Right? We wanna, we're content swimming in a spiritual kiddie pool despite the fact that it's warmer than it should be, all right? Despite the fact that grown men and women shouldn't be in the kiddie pool. We're scared to go into the deep waters, right? To take the water wings off. We're just content with spiritually splashing, right? With our floaties on. We want safety, I don't want that joy. I just want safety. The enemy of safety is trying to rob you of your joy. Now, that's not everyone. I, I, I talk, and I, I think I've got a fairly good pulse. I'm meeting with a lot of people in church. Man, there are people swimming in deep, deep waters. They've walked away from the kiddie pool, taken the water wings off. They can't touch the bottom anymore because they're pursuing joy, not safety. And when they get down to the deep waters, you have to trust God. You can't trust yourself anymore. And those are the people that are experiencing the joy of their master. Is they're pursuing joy, not safety. And that's the place that I, as a pastor, want to lead our congregation to, to get out of the kiddie pool, to get into the deep things of God. We have an infinite God who's inviting us in to the master's joy. That's an invitation to joy. What will you do with that? How will you steward what God has given? The invitation is yours. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We, we understand and we submit that everything that we have is yours. You gave it for your purpose and your glory. May we evaluate everything that we have 
It's not going to happen after the sermon. God, would you start working in the lives of our people all week and have a perspective that it's all yours? And what can we do with what you've given to advance the kingdom of God? We submit to that. We want to go swimming in deep waters where your joy awaits. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.